Messi, Ancara 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 Messi, Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Criminal Talks Football. We're back with my cousin or Adam. Adam, you're my guest at this time. How are you, my friend? I'm fine, thank you very much. Thank you for having me on again. It's been a while, man. It's been the last one we did together which was after the Chelsea game, which we won three one, and we took a little bit of a hiatus because we thought all the games that we'd done before that we'd been losing. So we thought we'd uh, you know, die down a little bit and see how we were getting on since. Um, before we go, I'm gonna talk, we're going to talk obviously a little bit of a rundown. We'll, we'll have a touch a little bit on um, the season since that Chelsea game, so the games we played since. The season going forward, so we've got 10 more games, Premier League games to play. Uh, Europa League run, and then our thoughts on Mikel Arteta. How does that sound? But I don't want to go anywhere without touching on the small matter that was the... A mission from the Premier League squad on Sunday of Pierre Mekabamian. Now, obviously, we understand that he was left out of the squad for disciplinary reasons, which later transpired it was to do with him turning up to the game late. Um, I know there's been pictures circulating around that he was stuck in traffic around the North London area, and you know, etc., etc. But before I ask you on your take of that, I just want a little piece on my own in that. Context aside, in terms of you know traffic, in terms of different circumstances that could have arisen, as the one of the main leaders in that squad, I put him along the side of the likes of David Luiz and Granit Xhaka, especially in the dressing room as a leader. And obviously, you add in the fact that he's a captain, he should be one of the first players turning up to there. Especially you look at the likes of Saka, Smith Rowe, Erdegaard. Um, you know, Martinelli wasn't in the squad, but just the example you're setting for these younger younger people, younger players, even Kieran Tierney, for instance, he's 22, Gabriel's 23. Just the example you're setting for the younger players to turn up late, you know, I'm, I'm happy that Arteta dropped him because of that, and obviously it transpired as more, that it wasn't his first time that he's turned up late. You know, he had the tattoo that he got out of um, during the coronavirus, and obviously the protocols that they've got in terms of that. What has been your take and what was your thoughts on it initially when you saw the lineup and you saw the fact that Aubameyang weren't in the squad? When I saw Aubameyang wasn't in the squad, first thing you do is you take to Twitter to find out why is he not in the squad. As soon as you find out his disciplinary actions, I actually applauded Arteta for it. As a manager, he's Arteta's a young manager, he's coming up in the game, he as a manager, you demand respect from your players. If you allow your players to get away with murder, coming in late, regardless of traffic, I don't think that traffic should be an excuse whatsoever. We go to, we commute to work every day. If we know we start work at a certain time, we know we have to be there. Turning around and saying traffic, that's not a good enough excuse for me, especially yeah. when you live around the area. Yeah, You know what the traffic is like, you plan ahead. So, traffic for me, that's just a terrible excuse. He, like you said, he's the captain. He should be there before anyone else steps yeah. in. But if I'm going to go on to him, I don't believe he should be our captain. I don't yeah. see enough influence from him in the dressing room or on the pitch when things are going wrong for us. But I know that's not the subject you want yeah, to I think that's a, Yeah, that's a, I think that's a topic for another day, yeah. 100%. Um, it's definitely a different topic. But yeah, yeah, yeah. He... He needs to set a better example for the youth. And what yeah. Arteta's done by dropping him is turn around and said, I'm, regardless of who you are at our club, whether you're the captain or just a squad rotation player, I demand maximum effort from you. And if you're not willing to give it, you're not going to be a part of my squad. Yes. You know? and, sorry, I was going to say, and the thing is as well is that, you know, look, he's disciplined him. He, he took him out of the squad against, against Spurs, you know. A big North London derby against your biggest rivals. You're taking our best player out of the starting lineup yeah. against potentially, I'm not going to say our biggest game of the season, but with the run of form we've currently been in the league, yeah. we're coming up against a top six club. 
Jose Mourinho, who the fans despise. Yeah. Spurs, who we know the history. We know the, the history. We know the history of the Tottenham. Yeah. But so he made it was a big statement for him to drop Aubameyang, especially before that game. Yeah. So and it paid off. Yeah, absolutely. Had he lost the game, you would have gone on Twitter. A lot of fans would have been slating him or Tetra. Yeah, out. absolutely, absolutely. I understand why he done it because if you allow him to get away with this week in, week out, yeah, he's going to start to think he can. The players are going to start to think they can run the dressing room. Yes, they're going to start to think, okay, Arteta's a pushover, yeah. or if Arteta later on decides to discipline another player for similar purposes, but he lets Aubameyang get away with it. Yeah, it's gonna cause upsets in the dressing room. Why is he picking on me? Yeah, why exactly. Is he me exactly. Out? Why is he disciplining me? I think I think people look at the different isolated incidents with um, the likes of William, for instance, who during whenever it was October, November, took a flight to Dubai to do some marketing piece for that. And people were saying, well, you know, that's because Arteta likes William. He's giving him that preferential treatment, but then at the same time. We know that he was disciplined. He was fined, however much he was fined. And you know, you look at it. That they've got their own protocols during the midweek. So yeah, he played after he came back from the Dubai trip, but it wasn't the day of the game. It wasn't like he flew in from Dubai that morning and turned up without anybody's knowledge. So setting aside, you know, just the different preferential treatments of players, the fact that you're you come in and start when you first came in as manager. You said, "This is this is this is what I'm, I'm after. I'm after non-negotiables from every single player. Have to uh, you know um, buy into my project." We've seen it with Pepe initially when things weren't going from initially, and you thought, "Okay, this is not the player for him." You know, I've advocated it myself. I put out a YouTube video saying the best way to get out of Pepe is to sell him, and you know, I had to eat some humble pie because I don't think that's the case anymore. Because I think. When you, you watch the improvements, yeah, and it's not just the improvements on the pitch, but you can see he looks a lot more focused. Yeah, yes, he's not. Yeah, I think that's the key word. He looks a lot more yeah. focused. And so, with that, that sort of mindset, the fact that these are non-negotiables, the fact that he's taking your captain out against your biggest rivals, you know. At home against a team that we knew what their plan was. I wouldn't say they are biggest rivals. I would say that geographically, they are there are noisy neighbours. They are our noisy neighbours. They're them lot down the road. To turn around and say our biggest rivals is an insult to us. Okay, uh, ge- geographically. Okay, geographically. geographically. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, but like I said, look, to drop him from that big game, you're putting a big statement out there. That and for me, like you know, I've heard it from other people. They said I was happy that was the case because. That was it. You said if you're if you're willing to drop your your main man, your captain from a big game, it tells you what you expect from your other players. Exactly. So you're looking at the likes of I don't know a Granite Jacker who makes a mistake, or a Louise. You know we're going to bring up the the, the normal mistake makers, or even a Kiratini, for instance, if he does a mistake himself, you know for a while that Arteta will there'll be repercussions. Exactly. Um, but he's he's dealt with it internally. You know, that we recorded it on the... the way he said he... It's the way he... He came out, he stated it was disciplinary, we move forward. Exactly. I'm not going to come and spill all our dirty laundry out for the media to come and start making, putting their two pence in. Exactly. It's internal. I spoke to him. He's agreed. We move on. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's and that's the main thing, you know, that we're recording this on the Tuesday. There's pictures already out today from Arsenal naturally putting the Bamyang in the main pictures and smiling the, and do you know what makes me happy it went to show you dropped our best player potentially you could say he's our he best player he is our best player you dropped him and we still went on to win it goes to show no player we didn't just win as well we dominated from start to the 80th minute at least <laughs> from when they went down to 10 men basically when they went down to 10 the roles were reversed yeah. we went down to 10 men the way we started playing um, and look, we're gonna we're gonna go into we're not gonna go into that game specifically because we'll touch base. We'll touch base on it during it. But like I said at the start, this is our first podcast together since the Chelsea three one game, which we watched together. We saw it, and that was the first game since the probably second half of the Sheffield United game where we employed the four two three one with the number ten sat behind the striker, and it was a Mill Smith on that occasion, and we were looking at it like. 
thinking to ourselves, why the hell did we not do that before? Why are we only just decided to play number 10 now? But we came to the conclusion that Arteta is still a young manager, he's still working out his best formula. And since that game, every single game going forward, he's played that he played that way. So against Brighton away from home, he played that way, uh, which we won 1-0. Against West Brom away, probably arguably our most overall perfect performance against a shit team like West Brom, like granted, but he played the same way. 4-2-3-1, it worked. We won 4-0. We'll, we'll leave the FA Cup and the Cup competitions out for now. But the blip aside of that little run there was Crystal Palace at home, 0-0. But again, we had the opportunities, but Crystal Palace has been a bogey team of ours for a little while now. So we can sort of um, forgive that happening. Newcastle at home, we won 3-0 playing that same way. And the pattern continued, Southampton away, 3-1. That was another game where uh, Aubameyang actually missed because of the incidents with his, with, you know, his, his mother and mum. We won that game 3-1 playing that way. Then we played Man United at home, which was a rubber stamp, 0-0 draw. It was a very boring game. It was a boring game. In regards to that game, we was lucky, I believe. I'll, I'll come out and say it. We was lucky to actually walk away with a point. Yeah. Which, since Arteta has taken over, United have failed to score a goal against us, which... Is a positive in itself, exactly. We've um, gone to Old Trafford, and we've won for the first time in fourteen years. Listen, it's a it's a lovely occasion to go through. Um, but then we go on to the little bit of a, a blip we went through. The two games back to back in the, in the West Midlands against Wolves, where we had the two sends in offs. You know the this, and you know what? We're not going to go into full details about this. We're going to do another pod another night, another day. I've I've written down I've written down from. Uh, uh, June, I think, for, uh, up to current day of everything that's going on in the Premier League from start to finish, including all the different stupid VAR decisions we're making, all the costly mistakes we're making as, uh, as a whole team ourselves. But again, this game, the game against Aston Villa, VAR decision gone against us, a mistake by Louise. You can't call it a mistake by Louise, I've said this before, but a mistake by Leno to get sent off. Um, go on, sorry. I was going to touch the Villa basis. Yeah, a mistake by Cedric and Gabriel, to be fair. And Holden. I wouldn't put it on Gabriel. I think it was more Cedric, but at the same time, Cedric is not a left-back. No. He done really well. Yes. Whilst Tony was out to yes. start into that position. He had some but, good but games. One or two games. Games. One or two games was fine. It was the three, four, five games he played at left-back. He was not a consistent left-back. Exactly. Him playing that right-back, for me, I pick him all day, every day over Bellerin. Yeah, he, defensively he's more sound. Yeah, going forward he whips in a better ball. Yeah, even when Pepe plays ahead of him. Yeah, he what's the word I'm looking for? He links up a lot better. He, links he up does, and he understands each other. And you know, against we'll touch quickly into the Tottenham game alongside. You know, it's the, the basis you've got to look at is the differences in who he's playing with. So he had Saka ahead of him that game. He had Erdogan just inside him, who likes to drift out to the right anyway. But three of them linked really well together. And the good thing with Cedric, you know, he knows when to overlap and underlap. Yeah, and when to do it at what moments. And look, we can always question Arteta's decision to maybe. Uh, tell Bellerin to underlap a lot of the time and you know I've had this discussion with people where I, I made the comparison in some sort of way to Kyle Walker at Man City and the reason why Pep asks Kyle Walker to go inside because he doesn't trust him enough when he goes outside when he goes outside and he gets tracked up too far up and he has to run back you're asking then somebody to run all that way back because you know full well that when they get into an attacking position they're not as confident one thing I've liked and I've picked up on from Arteta's tactics is as Liverpool have been doing it, City have been doing it, it's a lot of the front line press. Yeah. Especially when we've got our wing backs up top. Yeah. Instead of them tracking back, getting back into the position, you will see them running down the centre backs who yeah. are currently on position. And yeah. that's how we got, that's how Emil Smith Rowe managed to hit the post. Yeah, yeah. It was from that front line press. Put Tottenham under the pressure party. Well, that was no one. The thing is, Erdegaard, in fairness, got to give credit to Erdegaard on that. And I think. Um, I know you said we wouldn't even. I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, no, I know no, you said we wouldn't touch Europa League games and that, but Odegaard's goal in that Europa League game, that's where it came from, the front line press. Yes. So I really do love that tactic of the front line press going forward. Yeah. It takes. 
you're demanding that you're putting the other team under pressure. You're not yeah, giving them a second with the it's, ball. It's, the thing is with that, and I thought it's not the consistent press that we see from Liverpool. I think with Liverpool, they've got like you know the the phrase Gengen press comes out where they are literally pressing for ninety minutes all the time. I think with Arteta, and he's looking at it like he's choosing when to press. So you know, for instance, that Emil Smith for a chance at the bar. You see, uh, I think it's. Aldevira plays it to Lloris that's when Odegaard starts to press because he knows he might not be as comfortable then he plays it back to Aldevira he presses even more towards the, the centre back draws him out to the left hand side and then the sort of pattern of play the minute you draw that one centre back pushing out slightly rather than releasing it early the rest of your team then can press so you've got Saka pressing forward Cedric pressed a bit more forward as well and then Party in that middle so it was knowing when to press and I like that more so from Arteta than just aimlessly running around non-stop just running after your players that's what that was the problem with Tottenham in the first half as well when they were playing out from the back yeah it's they didn't have a plan no. when playing up and back no. it was just pass the ball around yeah try to get it up to the top and hope Harry Kane works his magic or Son works his magic which before he, he went off they couldn't which so. they couldn't which Gabriel and Louise and Louise to be and Louise was fantastic in that game one thing I noticed is when Partey made a mistake and the ball went up for the corner when he was winning yes it's towards the end of the game actually towards the end of the game Louise you see him shouting at Partey yeah. although Louise did make a mistake midweek which we was very fortunate to not actually concede and go behind yeah it's good to see him actually the players are actually acknowledging listen we need to that down focus yeah because that's what happens a lot of the time we just lose our focus we end up giving away stupid decisions and it's good to have that player that's going to be on your back to turn around and say to you listen yeah that's what we've been through a lot of years and we've we slightly gone off topic from the last you know game since the Chelsea game but we've we've gone through a lot of barren years where we didn't maybe have too many shouters in the team or at least Shouters with conviction. Mm. They might just shout at a point. You know, we can reference um, Matteo Flamini for that, where he is. Forgive me, that was me just moving the chair, guys. Um, where, you know, nine times out of ten, a lot of the time, he'd run around and he'd just shout and point. But it wasn't really with any conviction. It wasn't really with any. Um, uh, no, no, in fact, of what you're talking about. So, for instance. Whereas you look at, like, Louise, you look at, even to be fair, Granite Xhaka, you know. And even Kiratini, the Arsenal released a video today of um, it's like an open mic thing where the mic's next to the touchline, so you can hear what Tierney's saying pretty much throughout the whole thing. But giving, it's shouting, but it's giving critical advice, yeah. like critiquing what you're doing. So towards the end, you could forgive Party for doing a couple of mistakes. He looked absolutely shattered. You could forgive him, yes, because we got away with it. Hundred, uh, you could forgive him because he looked shattered. I think in the game against Benfica. He came off in the season. Okay. And you know what? The whole thing relays into the whole Aubameyang thing because I think had Aubameyang played, he probably would have stayed on and Elneny would have come off party like for like. Mm. Or had, you know, Elneny came on for uh, Lacazette, which, you know, put him, <laughs> put him as a number 10, which was quite funny to watch. But, you know, it kind of, everything spiralled down from that one decision to drop Aubameyang in terms of his substitutions he made. Um, but knowing full well that you're shouting and you're actually giving a critique with knowledge behind it is so much more nice to see than just shouting aimlessly at your teammates like for instance Mustafi used to do yeah. every time he made a mistake and we could see the goal the first thing he would do is throw his arm up in the air turn and shout at somebody um, it, it brings me back to the uh, Crystal Palace game where Zaha the ball goes over the, uh, uh, Mustafi's head he just leaves it Zaha runs through and on goal scores and Mustafi shouts at everyone else but it's like that's your fault no one else has that was yours he curses he's gone and he's taking it over to Schalke yeah Um, but what we're going to do we'll go back into the game so we touched on the Aston Villa game then we went to then we played at home to Leeds which was again the most enjoyable half that I've watched up until the Tottenham one where we went 3-0 up early doors real quick and Aubameyang got a hat-trick his first game back um, I remember tweeting out at one point saying, "Is this is this shades of Henri when he got those four goals uh, back in 20, 2004 I think it was oh three or four season." Um, and I got a lot of stick from a couple of friends of mine, but he just looked like he was on it the whole game. Um, and then we took a 
a sorry defeat at home to Man City. I say sorry because this that was on their their run of like twenty one unbeaten games, twenty one wins, and we we although we wasn't getting absolutely annihilated like they've done to every other team, pushing them deep into the box. We had our fair share of possession in that game. But we done absolutely. Oh, we didn't. We didn't create. Our uh, one shot on target came from Kieran Turney outside the box yes. in the first half. Yes, I remember that game. Yeah, it was. It wasn't great. We'll move straight on to Leicester because that I said at the time was an overall perfect performance, other than the fact that we conceded the goal because the goal came from a sloppy mistake again. But it wasn't a mistake where. It was uh, like what happened at Burnley and what happened at Benfica. It was a mistake where um, Xhaka picked up the ball and he could see the pass he wanted to make usually, but it got cut out by a Leicester player. So he play- plays it to William, who maybe wasn't expecting it. You know, the, probably the patterns of play that we make on the training ground is probably the, the play out to Xhaka. He could see the run of, of Tierney play over the top perfect. In this occasion, it wasn't there. He plays it to William, who loses the ball. And then from that moment on, I didn't blame that pattern of play because that was like in the middle of our half. So there's a lot to still happen from that. My main blame was on El Nene. If you watch it back again, he just runs in a straight line back towards his goal. He never once runs Trust towards Tielemans. And people put blame on, on Mari, but what if you look Vardy. over his shoulder, Jamie Vardy, Vardy. exactly. Um, but then in you saying that, it's could you say it's trusted or centre-back your partner? behind you to deal with the threat that's behind you focus what's in front of you yeah. and know that your partner behind you is focusing on the threat that's behind you I think so but I think I need to I might want to watch that again but I think there's a part of me that if I if I see that again I think when Murray looks over his shoulder initially he can't see Louise in his peripheral because I think Louise is a bit further back so his only focus is Vardy if he runs towards the ball Tiedemann's got a free shot just thinking one over into Vardy and then you put yourself in, well, I say even more trouble because they still scored from it. But you put yourself in a lot more danger there. But for me, the main focus was on any because he had a lot of time to run. I mean, Tiedemanns is not a slow, it's not a fast player by any stretch of the imagination. And then he sort of runs towards the box. And then Tiedemanns is coming in. And rather than running in that direction, he sort of runs back towards the centre spot. So he completely goes to Tiedemanns, all right, take a shot. Because you're not going to score. Mm. But he does. Um, but then after that... I felt then I was- it was, Although it was a good shot, I do believe Leno should have done better for that save. I think he could have done better. Yeah. Especially I think he got angle, pushed guard. at the angle Tilsman was at. Yeah. To shoot it across the goal the way he yeah. did to actually beat Leno. Uh, it yeah. was a FIFA goal. Yeah. I mean, a part of me feels like he might have been caught off guard and he wasn't expecting it. So you can maybe say, all right, cool, fair enough. Um, but from that goal, from the rest of that game, we were perfect. Yeah, without shadow. I mean, Pepe had his best best game. Especially when going behind by a goal, you see the way the players react. Look against a Leicester side who's just put five past Sheffield United, who've been on a very good run themselves, um, and currently battling for second. Exactly, um, and then we move on to the Burnley game, which we all know what happened. The domination, and it, it was actually a case of what happened at the start of the season, where we were dominating in possession at least. Not creating chances and getting caught for silly mistakes. Whereas in this game, we made chances. We should have scored a second. Saka should have scored a second. Aubameyang should have scored a second. And we got punished by a mistake. 100%. Before the end of the first half, we easily could have just had... We should have had four goals. Without a shadow of a doubt. And that has been the story of the season, majority of But the point in that was, at the start of the season, and the start up to the middle of the season... Although we didn't create much No, chances, exactly. We still had a few clear-cut chances in yeah. games to where you say, how did you not score? Like, for instance, if you put the mirror carbon copy of the Arsenal game against Tottenham at White Hart Lane and this one, possession stats, the same. But we dominate the ball. Quote-unquote, dominate the ball. In the first game, Tottenham sat back because they knew full well we don't, don't create anything. We, we crossed the ball, what, 50-odd times in that game? Um, I mean, in this game against Spurs on mm-hmm. Sunday, we still crossed the ball quite a lot, but wow. we still created more chances from. But with those crosses, they were they were with conviction. They were actually you two can see, yeah, yeah, with the turny one to Odegaard, yeah, even to the, even the yeah, even the turny one to uh, Lacazette, which he just hits wide. Similar. You can see he's actually instead of just crossing the ball for the sake of hoping yeah. for it to actually go to one of his players. 
He's looking up. He's actually trying to kick out one of his players. Look, a little note on the Tottenham game. And I was supposed to have a conversation with a friend of mine who's a Tottenham fan who, you know, before the game, he was convinced they were going to beat us 3-1. He was convinced they were going to beat us 4-0. He was so convinced and so confident that they were going to batter us. I texted him during the game. I said, look, this is not the same Arsenal side that played you at the start. It's not the same Arsenal side that had 90%, however much percent of the ball and you just counted us. Because A, we're much defensively much stronger and B, we've got a number 10 who can help can help create chances and the, the wingers, they're not wingers. If you watched Saka, if you watched Smith, they Smith they're inverted. Yeah. They're always inverted. So I said to him, look, uh, Matt Doherty and Karev Bell are going to cost you this game. And the tactics from Arteta to actually exploit, exploit that. that. Yeah, of course. And I, I, I text him. I, I text him during the game and I said, I'll get up the text right now. Is what exactly what I said to him, um, which was, where is it? I said, your right side will be where we are dangerous. Bale won't track back as much. Tierney and ESR should have some joy in here. This was at four o'clock. So this was before the game kicked off. He goes, Doherty is a problem, but Hoiberg's role is to cover that. I said, yeah, that's all well and good, but still think the link-up between Emil Smith-Rowe, Martin Odegaard, and Kieran Tierney could be troublesome for you. And I said, you know, literally three minutes into the game, I text him saying, we've already been in behind twice, behind Doherty and Hoiberg. Um, and then he, he messaged me back saying, we are allowing you to have the ball. I said, yeah, that's fine, but when we get in behind you, like we've already done a few times, it will catch up on you. And what happened? And we got in that side exactly, and we scored What I liked about the way we was... Going in behind Doherty was it wasn't always the same method. No, it wasn't. You'd have over the top balls. Yeah. You would have the ball straight down the line. Yeah. And it, for the goal, the way he picked up the ball and, and does the flick inside and out. I mean, that was he took him on. And the yeah. thing is, with with, with Kieran Tini, he's becoming a player that he, you don't right know what you're going to get from him. One minute, like I said, one minute, like you just said, he the ball's going to go in behind. And he'll run in behind. The next minute, he'll pick up the ball cut inside or cut outside whatever he chooses to do you still won't catch him I know there's been a lot of talks with Luke Shaw being the best centre back in the league at the moment but left back sorry left back there's a lot of talks with him being the best left back in the league I just think I think Kieran Kieran to his consistency I think because of the position we are in the table Kieran Turney is being slept on yeah I agree I so I think he is the best left back in the league this season. Yeah. He's been defensively sound. Yeah. At the thing is with look, people and somebody made I think it was Clive from the Arsenal Vision podcast made a very good point about Andy Robertson and you know if Liverpool fans are listening they might slate me for this. But if you watch Andy Robertson, he's a player that likes to receive the ball on the run. Mm. You give him the ball face up, try and take on a man. He, it's not for him he'll go backwards every single time watch him any game he plays the minute he picks the ball up his first instinct is to pass the ball backwards it's never to take his man on you watch Kiratini his first instinct is to take the ball on and if he hasn't got the option to do that then he'll cut inside take it in, either inside or backwards that's the difference between you know your top left backs and you know we'll all look at uh, Andy Robertson's contributions over the last few years and you can't question it but I think Kiratini will get to that stage at some point over the next few years without a shadow of a doubt he's 23 years old now 22, 23 um, so he's all got the time ahead of him I think the future does look bright for Arsenal yeah. if we can keep a hold of our youngsters yeah of course nurture them the future does look bright I'm here and if you're going to bring up Martinelli I'm, I'm, no I'm not going to I feel there's a lot of demand for him to it's be been, it's that been that justified game. it's been justified that the fact that he's not playing yeah of course it has I think it's a bit stupid of the fans to actually demand a player a youngster a 19 year old that's just come back from a long term injury to be starting ahead of experienced listen uh, uh, look we've got options in those positions you know uh, Pepe's been playing really well recently um, really? Saka even William has been producing and, and listen he might not be doing star studded stuff on the pitch but what he's doing is becoming productive he's got 7 assists this season I realise what classifies as an assist can come into it but at the end of the day he's still got those assists and there's still numbers to it for me I don't, when Arteta decides to bring William on in the last 20 minutes I don't question it you, you majority of the time in our last game where he's been bringing him on we've got the lead 
you're bringing them on to see out the game. You want experience to see out yeah, the game. Yeah, structurally, yeah. You're not going to want to bring on a young, no. a 19-year-old that's just come back from injury. Yeah. Who, don't get me wrong. Potentially, he's not going to have the greatest of forms. Yeah. If Martinelli was to have come on in this game, he, I mean, he don't, listen, there's no point in discussing it because he wasn't even on the bench, but it would have been for Lacazette because yeah. similar in a way in which Aubameyang could have done it, is the fact that he's fast, he's got fresh energy, he's energy, he's, um, he's electric, and that's going to force Tottenham back. So the fact that Martinelli is, is quick, he's young, he's hungry, and he presses non-stop, that will be... So going forward, would you play him in a centre-forward position or out on the left? I think it will be a case of what we're doing at the moment with Aubameyang, where Aubameyang's playing up front, primarily... But most of his contribution is coming from that sort of left inside channel. But, I mean, you listen, you look at the game against um, uh, even Burnley, for instance, where William played on the left, Aubameyang played up top. Aubameyang was more cent- uh, was more playing out on the left. William was playing more coming inside centrally as a sort of force number nine, which gave Burnley all sorts of problems. He'd done it when he came on against Leicester. He came on up front for Lacazette, but he was drifting out onto the left and William was coming in behind. Uh, Millsmith Rowe and Erdogan, sorry, you had that in situations. I know Martinez will be that, I think. This is going back onto Lacazette because you just brought him up. I know a lot of fans aren't going to like what I'm going to say and a lot of them are not going to agree with what I'm going to say. But this is excluding goals. Yeah. Lacazette has more to offer in terms of build-up play than Aubameyang does. Aubameyang, he's a world-class striker, world-class finisher. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes to it, before we reach the final third, Aubameyang, you see Lacazette, he drops back, he demands the ball, which you it creates space for other players to make runs in behind with our, our wingers. They will be able to start making runs going forward, whereas Aubameyang, you only need to see him standing on the shoulder of the defense. Yeah. I think of the centre back. The thing is, I think if Aubameyang played against Spurs, the game, the outcome, I'm, it may not have been that different. I believe it because I still think we won the game. Rewatch the game, you will see the way Lacazette. He comes back. He comes into the middle. He demands the ball, and then he plays it out wide mm. to where. It spreads the defence. You know what I mean? In going with that theme, what happens is with that, I mean, again, you know, I've got a reference to what Clive and the Arsenal Rhythm uh, podcast said. Every time Lacazette runs in, Sanchez, who is going around, he's strong, he's quick, but he's a donkey. He doesn't know what he's doing in terms of his mindset. So every time Lacazette comes in, Sanchez follows him, which leaves him, and in Doherty is chasing after God knows who, which leaves the massive space in behind. Watch it again. You'll see how many times Smith Rowe gets in behind. You'll see how many times Tierney gets in behind because of the fact that Lacazette comes deep and Sanchez's head just goes missing and runs after him. And for Batman is doing that, Batman is not coming short. He's trying to go in behind, which yeah. means Tottenham drop off even more than they already were. They might have been playing in the back and they might as well have just been playing in their own um, in their own box. But the fact that Batman's main um, thought process is to run in behind is not to run towards the ball would have helped in in terms of the fact that Lacazette played yeah, and allowed him to, to allow the rest of the players. His hold-up play, the way he comes in behind, I mean, he comes into the middle, demands the ball to find the options. Lacazette's an excellent passer of the ball. His finishing, on the other hand, Lacazette in the final third. Yeah, I think he is abysmal. I think... I think this is a topic for another conversation because I think... I think we differ in terms of exactly what Lacazette offers in terms of that. I, I agree with you, he's better at hold-up play than Lacazette than Aubameyang. But if you're putting him up alongside the likes of Firmino or, or Jimmy for that matter, I don't think he's anywhere near them. I think Lacazette will flourish under the Liverpool's team. Especially where Liverpool, contra- like they rely heavily on Mane and Salah to get them goals. They don't rely on Firmino to get them goals. I agree. I so, but I think if they had an out-and-out striker... They would be a much deadlier force than they even are now. But then, if they had an out-and-out striker to where he's the Liverpool striker is now going out and he's demanding, he wants to be the main man to get the goals. Their wingers will potentially suffer because Firmino is that sacrifice mm. in a sense to where he allows Salah and he allows Mane 
the space to run in behind. And that's what Lacazette was doing for our wingers this weekend just gone. I think the way in which we've seen Arteta in the recent weeks, he's got certain players for certain tactics for certain games. So, for instance... Yeah, he, he might go in the same formation every game, but he's got... Against the likes of Leicester, for instance, who play a high line, Aubameyang's perfect. I mean, don't get me wrong, Leicester played, Lacazette played, but he would have been perfect for that because Aubameyang would have always drifted in behind and created so much more space. Against this Tottenham side where their defence was set deep, there's no point in putting Aubameyang in because Aubameyang would have played anymore. But Lacazette was a good choice because the fact that Aubameyang would have gone in behind, but he would have gone in behind to no man's land because where you're going into you're going into the box and that's about it really and then we go back to the White Hart Lane game where the ball was just being crossed in non-stop non-stop to, to God knows who um, but listen I'm, I'm, we're going to have another conversation on the Lacazette debate honestly I do believe he was best suited um, for this game he was but he, listen on hindsight when you watched the game back he definitely was um, but look we're going to go into our next 10 Premier League games we're not going to discuss them too much what we'll do though is give predictions so we've got 10 Premier League games left to go, starting with West Ham away from home this weekend. That's a tricky game. It's a tough game. Because West Ham are informed. Don't, and look, they, just, they narrowly lost. lost to Man United. Own goal. Own goal, and without Jesse Lingard, who, for all intents and purposes, has been a shining light for them since he's come into that squad. Um, but, Super. having said that, but I still I think we're going to win. I don't know. I think Suchek in the middle for them has just been fantastic. I agree, but I just I have, have a, a lot of our. He will be able to disturb a lot of our attacking players. Don't get me wrong. I think we'll control possession. I think Party's not going to play on Thursday night. I think Omeni and Sabias will play, or Omeni and Jack will play. Honestly, I don't think that's. But I don't think Party will play. I think we'll give him a rest because. Like I said, he looked absolutely shattered against Tottenham. I think he'll rest him against Olympiacos to play him against West Ham. Because look, we're free run up against Olympiacos going into the home leg. And reality is, mathematically at least, there's still a chance for us to get top six at least. Top five, even top four. Well, we're four points behind off Tottenham. Two points behind Liverpool, or am I wrong? Two points behind Liverpool. Well, they don't the table. I know we're not that far off Liverpool, but we're about seven points away from fifth. So and we right play. Now we are on forty-one points. Yeah, we are currently. Forgive me. We're five. We're, we're level on points with Aston Villa, who are in ninth place. Four points off of Tottenham, who are in eighth. Eight. Five points off of Liverpool and Everton. And we've Liverpool got to have played an extra game than us. And by the time we play Liverpool, we could go above them if we beat West Ham away from home, and then we beat Liverpool at home. Potentially, yeah. Um, if we win our game we've got, that we've got over Liverpool we will be two points behind them we play West Ham Liverpool not in order by the way um, in terms of the team that we're right now Everton Chelsea all four of those teams are above us right now so we've got the chance to beat them individually to get above them or at and least that's the remainder of our tough fixtures uh, yeah so I mean we've got tough away games at Palace Newcastle and then I say it's a tough away game it shouldn't be Considering where they are, but Sheffield United away from home, knowing Arsenal will make it tough for ourselves. Um, but and also the West Ham away game is away from home, so it's not as if you know. Well, I say it's not as if we've got the home crowd behind us; we ain't got any crowd. But at least you know the the sort of um, familiarity of the of the Emirates. But what's your prediction? We'll run through it really relatively quickly if we can. But what's your prediction, West Ham away? I'm going to go for a draw. Fair enough. I'm going to go for a win. So I'm going to write it down here. A draw. Does Aubameyang start on Thursday for you? Uh, yes, I think he will, and I think he probably will start against West Ham as well. Liverpool at home. Uh, you're gonna have the 019 season of Mane, Salah, and Firmino coming back and just tearing us apart. So lose. <laughs> We're at home. Yeah, We're at home. We don't really use to work on uh, We tend to draw, yeah. We're not really. I mean, last few games, I don't think we've won, but we've drawn a couple of them and lost maybe one. I think Mane's first game for Liverpool, 
has been that was the one where we, we lost won the, the last one. one. We won the last one. Um, and, and that's after international break. Yeah, I'm actually going to go for a loss on that one. You know, I just have this sneaky feeling, like you just said, that the Liverpool of that season where they were just dominant. It tends to be that everyone decides to they're going to have their great game of the season against us. Hundred percent, more certainly, and. Is it us that allows that to happen or is it just them really wanting to turn up for that game? The problem is, the difficulty for us is it's not at Anfield. If it was at Anfield, I'd probably go in and say we're going to win this because of how bad they've been at Anfield. Um, But the fact that Jota's just coming back as well, that they've got the other option, and Fabinho's now back in midfield, Mm. who knows? Um, I'm going for an Arsenal loss. Are you going to go for a draw? I'm going to be... uh, Yeah, I'm going for a loss. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Sheffield United away I'm for a win 100% if we don't win that I'll be pissed um, Fulham at home Fulham is a difficult one they, they're sitting in relegation at the moment but they're not performing like their relegation team they are definitely not performing that's it I hope I'm, gonna, I'm sorry to say this but I actually want Fulham to win that game wow I want Ryan to get relegated so we can still hope for a Arsenal win, but and then um, Brian's our last game of the season, yeah. huh? So I hope Fulham beat us, and I hope <laughs> we beat Brian and we send them down. That's I'm I'm going for an Arsenal win in that game. Uh, Chris, no, no, no. Listen, I hope Fulham stay up, and I hope Ever- uh, Brian go down. But listen, there's six more games after the Fulham game, so I'm not hoping for them to beat us. Believe me. Um, I just want Fulham to secure. But is that hope? Okay, so what do you think will happen? Not what you hope will happen. What do you think will happen? I can see them winning it. Okay. I can see... I think at the time, depending on how our previous results are leading up to that game... Can determine it, yeah. Will determine it. The thing is as well, so we've got... After... after the so one minute, let me have a look at if we if we actually beat the teams we've just mentioned now the Liverpool, West Ham, Sheffield. So after sorry, sorry to cut you off. After the Liverpool game, we've got a quarterfinal first leg if we go through against Olympiacos in between that and Sheffield United. So we'll play Sunday, Thursday. Then um, if we win that game. Well, then the Sheffield United game will get moved to the Sunday. Then we'll play the second leg of the quarterfinal. And then we'll play Fulham at home, which is currently scheduled for Saturday, but it'll probably get moved to the Sunday as well. So we probably have to take that into consideration. However, I'm still going for an Arsenal win. I'm saying it'll be an Arsenal win only depending on what our results if are our results are beforehand okay. if so if we actually go on a run of form to where we've beaten Liverpool we've beaten West Ham and we've beaten Sheffield and we've built momentum and we're actually in the race to get European football yeah we're going to be hungry going into that yeah. game but whereas if we've got nothing to play for you know, someone said it. Yeah, going to want it more than yeah, us. So, I mean, someone said it recently is that even if we've got nothing to play for, I still want us to take momentum into the remainder games. I still want us to finish as strongly as possible because realistically, when you finish a season strong, generally nine times out of ten, you start the following season strong, yeah. and that's what we need to do. So, regardless of if we've if we've if we're out of Europa League at some, with some miracle on Thursday, and we um, gonna we're not going to. Like when you say at some miracle, it's not a miracle for us. So no, I know, I know. But if we don't qualify through the Premier League, then I still want us to finish as strongly as possible. Um, so Everton at home, what are you going to say? We can beat Everton at home. I'm going to go for a draw. Don't know why. I just have a feeling that. Don't get me wrong, Ancelotti's sure done a fantastic job, but we need to go after the way after they beat us this season we need to go back out there and and put a step on yeah uh, Newcastle away that's going to be I think easy win I agree West Ham West Brom at home another easy win 100% Chelsea away this is what started our run we don't really win at the bridge 
We don't. I'm. I'm. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm. I'm gonna go for a draw. I don't think we'll. I don't think we'll lose because I don't. I don't see an attacking threat from. Uh, not in the, the slightest. There's no attacking threat. Not in the slightest. Is a boring manager tool. Without a shadow of doubt. I'm gonna go for a draw in that one. What are you, what are you saying? I'm gonna go for a boring nil nil. Uh, Palace away from home. We don't tend to do that great there. I've, I'm going for a draw in that one. So far, the only loss you've given us to is Liverpool. Yep. You're going to go for a loss? No, I'm going to go for a win. Oh, wow. And then Brian at home, we're both going for a win, I stake it. Uh, um, even if we have nothing to play for, I want us to send them down. So I'm going, so you're going to go with. A draw, loss, win, 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 draw, win, win. So you're taking... No, I feel like hearing that... <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're not changing it. So you're taking 3, 6, 9, 12, 15, 18, uh, 21, 22. 23 points out of potential 30. Which is, you know, it's fair enough. I mean, it's strong enough to get us into the top four. Put it that way. Um, and I'm going for 3, 6, 9, uh, 12, 15, 18, 19, 20, 20. I'm going for 21 points out of our last, out of potential, 20, out of potential 30. Just a two point difference between us. No, we are. On paper, no, obviously, bar this season, well, bar the first half of this season. We should be beating the teams that you've named. The ones that have actually said, I believe we should win, there should be no doubt about it. We should actually go out there and we should actually the win. The thing is, teams of yesteryear, Arsenal teams of yesteryear would have 100% won. This is what I thought, regardless of mostly all of those games apart from, we probably have lost to Liverpool and probably lost to Chelsea, but the rest of them we would have walked. So we've been taking 24 points out of a possible 30. Without a shadow of doubt, we're all Even this season. Yeah. Since, like I said, barring the Burnley, the Wolves, and the Villa game, where we've had decisions go against us, we should have won those games. Mm. We easily should have won, and we, except for the City game, every yeah, yeah, yeah. match we've played, we've been dominant in all of them. Yeah, I agree. Even the ones we lost. Yeah, I agree. We've um, been dominant, and we're going to touch on that in the post-season review when we when we talk when we go upon that one we're going to definitely discuss the whole season as a whole from top to bottom including all transfers in transfers out what transpired what went wrong what didn't go wrong what went against us etc 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 um prediction for where you see us finishing this season all right let me have a look at the table real quick then because so like you said we are currently four points behind eighth We've got game in hand over Liverpool, and like I said, if we win our game against We're West Ham... We're not that far off of fifth. No, so if we win our game against West Ham, we close the gap on them initially. They're seven points behind us, uh, ahead of us. It will turn it to four. It will turn it to four, and, if we, and it will turn it into uh, two points behind Tottenham, uh, Tottenham, Liverpool and Everton. And then we play Liverpool, so we technically have the chance to go at least seventh in the league by the time we finish the game against Liverpool we then play after the games against uh, Newcastle Sheffield United West Brom who by the way so we've got to play 17th 18th 19th actually you know what from 15th down we play every team we play Brighton we play Newcastle we play Fulham we play West Brom we play Sheffield United so we better be winning all of those games. But now that I'm looking it, where they're battling relegation, I don't think we know what I agree. Season. I agree. But I don't care about the sentiment side of things. I just want us to go out and batter them. Um, so then we still got to play, like I said, we still got to play Chelsea. So we can close the gap on them if we win. We can close the gap on Everton if we win. I'm going to say we're going to finish sixth. Judging by that, so look, we can... Uh, judging by the results I said we're going to get, I can potentially... Look, look, I've put us down to we're going to finish on 62 points. You're saying we're going to finish on... 63. 64. 64 points. Oh, yeah, 64 points, you said. So, 
and we've got a hope that the teams like Everton, Liverpool, West Ham, uh, Villa and Tottenham obviously drop points. But if they drop points to us, then that's one and step ahead of us. They've still right? got to play each other, no? Everton still um, to play Villa, or am I mistaken? Yeah, I think so. Probably would do uh, Everton. They've still got, the teams ahead of us have still got some tough fixtures coming up, so... Yeah, they play on the 1st of May. Spurs have still got United. Spurs have still got United. Um, Do Spurs still have to play Aston Villa? They've still got Liverpool, no? Spurs play Aston Villa this Sunday, actually. Away from home. But without Jack Grealish, that could be a difficult one from them. Um, Does Everton... Do Everton have to... No, Everton have already played Liverpool twice. Everton... Do I do Everton Spurs already? No, Everton still got to play Tottenham. 17th of April. So they've still got to play each other. So provided, and the thing is, we can rule out the likes of we can, yeah, we can rule out the likes of Leicester, right? Leicester still got to play Tottenham. Still in top four now. So. No, no, no. But I'm saying, but it still helps us in terms. Oh of yeah. So there's still a lot of tough games. They've got everyone's still got tough games coming up. So it's about how we finish now. Everton play Man City on the 23rd of May. So they've still got another. They've still got those they're games to play. Liverpool, do they play Aston Villa again? Yes, they do. They play Aston Villa again at Anfield. I'm not going to lie On the 10th of April. I'm not going to lie to you, Mr Pringle. I remember seeing myself doing this last season in hopes of us finishing top four. I know. And I can tell you how it ended. Yeah, it didn't end great, did it? It did not end great in the slightest. Um, but no, uh, and we was in a better position to get top four last season when we came. You back know what? Home. We was, but I don't think as silly as this is going to sound, I don't think we were playing amazing football as much. When I say amazing football, I listen. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination we're playing amazing football now. But we're playing a lot better football now than we was a at the start of the season and b towards the latter end of last season, even up to the FA Cup final. You know, um, yeah, we were playing really good football. We were winning, but right now, there's a we are, the we're difference playing better. Is right now, we've got two new additions to our starting lineup in Oldergaard and Emil Smith Rowe, who bring in a lot of creativity. So we are that we've definitely got a lot more going forward now. Hundred percent, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I think. No, we're getting sidetracked slightly, so we'll we'll, t- we'll move on to the to the to the next one. Um, but I'm thinking, you know, look, I still think sixth is very realistic. I even genuinely think I don't think it's extremely realistic, but I genuinely even think top four is realistic. But who drops out? Uh, what? Where's the table? Um, let me have one second. Let me search. Um, who drops out? That's a very good question. Uh, so, who drops out? The, the most likely to drop out would be Chelsea because of how far behind they are to Leicester and Man United. They're five points behind Leicester, six points behind United. Um, so I would say top, uh, Chelsea. But having just looked at that, I, I don't think they will. Um, but look, we're going to move on to... How many points are we behind Chelsea at the moment? We are... Well, we are, we're 10 points behind Chelsea. But we still got to play them. That's the thing. we still got to play them. I mean, I realise it's only three points, but we still got to play them at some point. Um, but look, we're going to move on to now. I think what we'll do is we'll leave... This has been mainly based on, out of a Premier League podcast, and we're, we're running quite close to an hour now. Um, of an initial 30, 30 minutes. minutes podcast. So, what we'll do is... 
quick thought on Mikel Arteta and the job he is doing because we said it before. You know, we we done a we done an episode on on Mikel Arteta itself, saying episode one we did, which I would assume was probably after the Aston Villa game, maybe when we lost three 0 and we right, said at the time our, our, the, the title of that podcast was Let's Back Artel. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Nothing. For me, nothing. And that's it, guys. <laughs> Why not just cut me off? No, no, sorry. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, for me, nothing's changed in regards to that. You can't judge a manager based off of just one window he's had where he hasn't even got to spend any money. Exactly. Give him time. He's worked um, under a great manager or... Pep, I know we call him Pep Fraudiola, he just spends a lot of money, but what he actually gets out of those players, yeah. there's talent there, so he's worked under a great manager. He's, 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 he's still, highly on yeah, there's still question marks over some of his substitutions, which there will always be, but he's young, he's going to grow into the world, so. And the thing is, he's like anything right now, he's, he, he still needs to learn when to be cautious, when to be anxious, and when to be confident in your team's ability. So, for instance, yeah, of course it does. So, for instance, taking Lacazette off on Sunday for El Nenny, as part of it was a shutdown shot. As part of it was a, a a really anxious decision because you're taking off a striker and you're bringing on a midfielder to shore things up against ten men. But Pep, Pep wouldn't have done that, in my opinion. Neither would. Sir Alex Ferguson, neither would Arsene Wenger, he would have stuck on another striker, in fact, because you want to kill the game off. But the problem is, I think, a part of me thinks it's quite tactical, I wouldn't say genius, but it's a tactical decision in terms of, uh, Luis said it after the game, some of our younger players got too emotional, got too excited, got too um, ahead of themselves in the fact that we were winning the game, and oh, look, 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 we're winning against Tottenham, we're winning at home, blah, 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 blah. This is a great game we're playing, and it got too, they got too excited. So for Arteta to put another defensive midfielder in there just to shore things up and to calm and steady it, it wasn't a bad decision. I just think that in a couple of years' time, if he's ever presented that situation again, it'll be completely, it'll different. Be completely different. Providing the players we've got now don't turn up late to train and put him into a difficult predicament. Because I think... No, 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 it didn't. But I think, I think he would have brought a Bamiyang on for Lacazette. Because in that situation, you're then you can, stretching the defence. You're stretching the defence, but at the same time, you've touched on what Louis said. No, no, no. A lot of young yeah. talent in that team. I so, think in the flip side, sorry, in the flip side, what we were doing then was every time we got the ball, we were just pumping it long. Yeah. Tottenham's defence had pushed up so much that you if have a man was there, run, he just run. runs on behind it all the time, which then forces the Tottenham defence back. It is that way of thinking because as much as you know, we could say it forced the defence back as much as it might not have, to be fair. Tottenham might have stayed forward trying to search that goal. What could have happened is you, he could have just pushed. I know we should have wrapped up, but it's going on to a different topic, but it's just put Pepe up top. Yeah. Use his pace to get him behind the defence. Yeah. Pepe flourishes. When he was at Lille, that's how he was flourishing. Yeah. In behind, on the, in the interspace, so he, scores He could goals. have easily ended up play, playing with Pepe playing up top. Yeah. It's only the last 10 minutes of the game. Um, you can see, okay, going into forward, how does that best suit Pepe? Um, final thoughts then on Arteta? Give him time. Give him time. But I do hope we win the Europa League this season. So do I, because I think we'll, with what will come with the Europa League, or the Champions League money if we get into the Champions League, will only increase our chances of actually strengthening the squad to the squad that he wants. Because you look at the squad now, and you th- and as much as we've said it in the past where we're only one or two players away, I genuinely next season would be happy to go in to the tra- to the Premier League with uh, with four centre backs, Gabriel. Um, That's provided we get European football. Yeah, I mean, even if we got Europa League football, I'd still be happy with it. No, I mean, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah, yeah, Gabriel, Mari, Louise, and Saliba. I think Holden's going to stay anyway. It's so a five centre backs. Mavropanos. As much as I'd like him to do well, I just don't think he will stay at the club. Really? Yeah, I don't think he will. Um, I just haven't. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen too much of him. I know he's been really doing well uh, over in Germany, but I don't think he will stay. I think uh, Stuttgart want to take him 
on another love, another loan maybe or a permanent. So um, look, if we go into next season with five centre backs. I know we're talking about signing another one, but if we go in with, like I said, holding Saliba, uh, Louise, Gabriel, and Mari, then I'd be pretty comfortable with that because we've seen in recent weeks, Louise, when he's on his game, he is a world class centre back without a shadow of doubt in my mind. Hundred percent. Gabriel has already shown he's a very good centre back. So has Pablo Mari. He's actually surprised a lot of people with how good he I think is. Both actually, the three signings of Cedric and Mari have surprised. Yeah. Initially, um, when we announced that they've signed on permanent deals, everyone was. I think everybody underwhelmed, and I. But then I think you. Look, we'll go into into the end of season pod, so we won't talk about that too much. But you know, we need a backup left back in the summer. Yeah. To. Kalasnach comes back from loan. Do you keep him? Listen, if it's up to me, we release him. If we if we, if we can't find a buyer from him, we we do what we did with Socrates and Urzel and just release him, cut your ties with him because I can't have another season oh, of watching him in this bloody in this bloody team at all. You know, when you look at Tierney, the way he plays, and then you can you compare that. I mean, look, we've seen with Bellerin, and I say I think we will need another right back, but we've seen with Bellerin right, that he's is. got the right, he, him and. Cedric have their rotation where again I genuinely because listen I hold my hands up I thought Bellerin was excellent against Olympiacos away from home but you know he didn't play against Tottenham where 9 times out of 10 if you're, if you're coming into some form of good confidence 9 times out of 10 you play because you've shown the manager that you're good enough still mm. but Cedric played with Tierney, for instance, like with the with the centre backs, I don't think Louise or Gabriel plays against Olympiacos. I think Mari comes back in and maybe hold it. So I think because of I the, think the you're fact that a lot of changes to that team to where against Olympiacos, you're making a lot of changes. I, do you know what it is? I just think Olympiacos are really bad. And we should have the scoreline doesn't reflect how the game went. It doesn't in the slightest. But then look, I still think we'll have a relatively strong squad. Like, I think Tini will play, I think Bellerin will play, and I think Mari and Holden will play. And I don't think... But then you're putting the midfielder as Sabayos and Elmini. Well, maybe not as Sabayos, I think actually Jacob Wobbly probably will play, because he's played every bloody game since the Burnley game at home. Um, but going, sorry, going into the actual, like I said, into the, into the, um, the summer in terms of what we are needing, what we are away from being a really competitive side. Another centre mid alongside Thomas Partey. If we don't sign Odegaard on a permanent, then we'll need another number 10 or at least another creative midfielder and then a striker. And I realise that it's five players, but it's five key areas if we are selling Bellerin, if Odegaard doesn't sign permanently and if Lacazette goes. I hope Bellerin gets sold. I hope we don't try to sign Sabayos in the summer. I don't think we will. I don't think... I I think Arteta, the fact that Arteta hasn't played him at all alongside Partey, he hasn't even tried it. So, so, when you're saying, so when you're saying play alongside party, that means Shaka gets dropped. I think that going into next season, if we have somebody who can do what Shaka does, but a bit more agile and mobile, then that's what Arteta will look for. Because the problem is when our, when Shaka plays, as much as he's been playing really well, it limits what we can do in the terms of the central midfield. Like, for instance, it limits the fact that we can't have too many men running forward because of Shaka's inability to be you know mobile so every time Tierney goes forward Jack slots into that left back role whereas if you have another mobile centre mid like we've talked about Basuma in the past as Arsenal fans if you have somebody like a party who can go forward and drive on with the ball at least you've got Basuma there who can sit and you're not having to worry about him moving into another position because he can hold that position and he can come across there and then he can come across to that side he can come across comfortably whereas Xhaka for instance when we go forward, he goes into the left-back role. You don't ever see him go into the right-back role because you'd never be comfortable on his right side. Mm. I think with the likes of Basuma or even Party, if he wanted to, he could come across to the right-back, he'd come across to the left-back. It doesn't bother him. Yeah. It doesn't phase him. Um, so, as much as I've done, as much as, listen, we've discussed it, Jacques has improved immensely. He's been, you know... But going forward, he wouldn't be in your Arsenal style. No, no. I think... If we can't upgrade him, I won't be upset that we'll still keep him. Because I think he will be here next season. I think he'll be a part of a midfield. Listen, he'll be part of a rotating midfield now. I ain't got no problem with that. If we can rotate comfortably as well, like the way City do. One week Gundogan plays, one week De Bruyne yeah. plays, one week Bernardo Silva plays, one week Foden plays. You never look at their team though and think, 
they're missing something. Yeah. You look at them and say, well, if Gundogan don't play, then the Bruyne's going to play and he's still going to score. If the Bruyne don't play, then Foden's going to come and he'll do well. Um, but that's what we need from our team next season. I do believe we need a striker going forward. Yes. And that, and I think the level of striker in terms of ability current-wise, anyway, current ability-wise, would be determined on how much money we've got to spend. Yeah. Because, like, for instance, you, you look at the guy from Celtic, Odson Edward. Okay. I would take him, but if we've got more money available to us, and there's options that are a better striker out there, but then, then you can go with that. With that being said, Leicester are looking into him as well. Would he want to be reunited with Brendan? He probably, I reckon that deal is pretty much wrapped up already, if I'm honest. But at the same time, I think his agent is the same agent as Tierney's agent. So there could be a sneaky deal to be done there. But again, I think there's other forwards we've, we've been looking at. There's the guy from Real Sociedad, um, Alexander Isaac, who's having a really good season and he fits perfectly what we're looking at. He's strong, he's fast, he can score goals and he's a tall centre forward as well. So if you are, for instance, okay, from whipping balls in left, right and centre, you've got the option of that. Um, people laugh and say, yeah, but you had that in Giroud. Yes, we did, but we sold him, get over it, move on. If that's the case, you go for somebody like Isaac, then you've got an option of that. And he's a different option than to Aubameyang. Because he can still do the same thing Aubameyang can do, running behind, um, run with the ball fast, but he's also got the option airily, which, mm. you know, Aubameyang, even though he scored that goal against Benfica from his head, I think he's only got three or four professional career goals scored by headers. Wow. Which is not a great stat for a striker. Um, but look, guys, listen, we're going to leave it there. Thank you again, Adam, for joining me, as usual for this one um, if you are new to this and you like what you listen to then subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts like and comment and share and it will boost up our um, play hit every time somebody checks out a football podcast they'll come straight to us uh, if you like video format I do weekly videos on well Arsenal which is also Kringle Talks Football available on YouTube and everywhere else you'll find it um Social media, Mr. TJ Wright, follow me at Mr. TJ Wright, Kringle Talks for everywhere as well. And until next time, guys, I've this one's been a pleasure. So again, thank you very much. And um, take care. See you later, guys. Take care.